Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at livetoone110.com, and you can find the new mineralpower.com very soon. That's I'm having a new whole new brand, spanking new website designed, and it's that is my healing and detox program that I use to help reverse my clients' health conditions and detox them of heavy metals. And that's what we're talking about today on the show with a very good friend of mine, Dr. Bruce Jones, he's a mentor of mine, and he's going to be talking about heavy metal urine push tests and how they are a great adjunct to hair mineral analysis screening tests for heavy metals. And please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition, and it's not a substitute. That's my dog coughing, and it's not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to One Ten podcast is solely informational in nature, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. I'm so thrilled to announce that my new supplement line, Bio Rehab, is on Amazon. It's live. You can purchase the first product that I have created called Liver Rehab Plus. Uh, so go on Amazon and search for, uh, you know, uh, Milk Thistle or Liver Rehab, and you will find it. Uh, it's $33.52 right now, but where if you belong to the mailing list, the email list, we're going to do an offer for $1 for your first bottle. So just stay tuned to the email list, sign up for that, and look for that offer coming very, very soon. Dr. Bruce Jones, our guest today on the show, uh, he's been working in general practice as a medical physician for many years, specializing in chronic pain management, and he's also completed a degree in horticulture. In late 2010, Dr. Jones was invited by Professor Anvi Sali of the National Institute of Integrative Medicine in Hawthorne in Australia to develop courses in integrative medicine for both medical and natural health practitioners, as well as for the general public. There, he was a senior lecturer both in course development and postgraduate medical education. Many years ago, Dr. Jones completed an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine and learned all about hair mineral analysis. He got certified in that and subsequently set up his practice, Peninsula Clinical Nutrition. Dr. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. Lovely to be with you, Wendy. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, when you became a doctor and a little bit about your health journey? Right. Okay. Well, I was brought up here in Melbourne, uh, in uh, Australia. Melbourne's our second largest city, about 4 million people. Uh, went to the University of Melbourne, graduated in 1980. And uh, spent a few years in the hospital system, as, as we all do. Uh, and then I worked in um, family medical practice for, I don't know, something about 16, 17 years, something like that. Then got totally bored with uh, that uh, because yeah, so many people come to family practitioners with just relatively minor um, ailments, um, which, you know, you don't need six years of university training to, you know, fix. Uh, but there was always this small group of people, which might have been, you know, sort of maybe 5% of the people I was seeing, or maybe less, who were chronically ill 
you did all the tests that you could possibly dream of, sent them off to all the specialists who you thought might be useful, relevant, and still got no answers. And you could not work out what was wrong with them, no matter what you tried. Um, and that always puzzled me. You know, here we have, you know, a very sophisticated medical system, very sophisticated uh, laboratory, um, you know, equipment, technicians, um, you know, in Western medicine in here in Australia, you know, is equal to anywhere in the world. Um, and, and much of our medical research is ahead of other parts of the world. So my question was, why can't, with all this money, with all these facilities, with all these um, investigative procedures, why can't we get to the bottom of what's wrong with my patients? Mm-hmm. That always puzzled me, okay? So uh, I did a number of different things for a number of years. Um, and then about five years ago, I was asked to join the National Institute of Integrative Medicine, which is an offshoot of Swinburne University here in Melbourne. Um, and I was working there as a senior lecturer in integrative medicine, uh, basically putting together postgraduate educational programs for family medical practitioners, naturopaths, osteopaths, chiropractors, um, specialists if they're interested. And so I worked there for about two and a half years. And then when that program came to an end, uh, I decided to move down south um, Melbourne is located on a rather large bay, Port Phillip Bay, and so we moved down to the lovely Mornington Peninsula and uh, started working in the field of clinical nutrition, which has been increasingly an area of interest of mine. And what we've discovered uh, through doing a lot of research, by doing a lot of study, um, was that we could actually find ways of finding answers for those people back in the 1980s, 1990s, I couldn't help. Now I can. Mm -hmm. Might be a bit late for some of them. However, there are many others where they came from, particularly from the chronic fatigue uh, ME community. Uh, Many of those have been going around from, you know, doctor to doctor to you know, healthcare, any sort of healthcare practitioner trying to find answers. And many of them are very, very desperate people because all they can foresee is a lifelong um, journey of chronic ill health, zero energy, um, and all the, you know, brain fog, muscle pain, all those sort of symptoms. And unfortunately, the people who, seem to specialise in this area, seem to go down the pathway of, oh, it's this bacteria or it's this virus. They're very microbiologically oriented. And the patients that I get who are sick of chasing bugs all day long um, and trying to find ways of getting rid of them finally come to the realisation, well, there's got to be something wrong with the system that allows these bugs to thrive. Now, Louis Pasteur, you know, a famous French scientist, at the end of his life 
made a very, very famous quote. And what he said was, um, the microbe is nothing. The terrain is everything. And we've discovered that, that because we live in such a toxic world, such a toxic environment, compared to, say, our great-great-great-grandparents, um, we absorb, we inhale, we ingest a whole lot of toxins, whether they be from the air, from our food, from our water supply. Um, we can obtain these toxins anyway, and it depends on our genetics and our nutritional status as to how well we get rid of them, how we handle them. And we may handle, say, petrochemicals really well, but get overloaded with particular types of heavy metals. And that's partly the types of genes that we've inherited, our coding errors, what we call SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, uh, in our genes, which means that we hang on to some things a lot more than we should, whilst we get rid of other things more efficiently. Yeah. So that's a long answer to a short yeah. question. <laughs> Yeah. And so why don't you talk a little bit about heavy metal toxicities and how they destroy people's health? Okay. Um, in the Earth's crust, um, we the crust contains a whole range of minerals and metals. Obviously, you can uh, look at them in a periodic table. Just Google periodic table and, and there you find there's lots of them. And you think, oh, well, these aren't too relevant to me. Oh, maybe I've got a bit of carbon, a bit of oxygen, a bit of nitrogen. Maybe there's a few other things, a bit of magnesium or calcium. Oh, yes, I need calcium for my bones. So maybe this is relevant. But then you see all these strange names um, of things and wonder, oh, okay, I suppose they play around with those in research labs, not realising, of course, that we come into contact with a lot of these things in, in our daily living. And there's typically, you know, you've got your four major heavy metals, the um, ATSDR you know, classifies uh, metals according to their toxicity and to the extent to which... You know, they you know, influence the health of populations across the planet. Uh, things like mercury, lead, arsenic and cadmium are always a very, very great concern. Arsenic is a major, major problem for the people of Bangladesh and West Bengal, as well as parts of um, Taiwan, Argentina, Chile, uh, New Hampshire and New Mexico, just for some because it's all in the groundwaters uh, as a result of arsenic being in the rocks uh, through which the groundwaters percolate. And, of course, if you put a well down and you're drinking that water and you don't realise that arsenic, because it's tasteless and, you know, it's, uh, it, it, you just don't know you're drinking it until you start to get slowly, slowly ill. Um, and then there's a whole lot of other metals. There's things like aluminium. There's things like nickel, thallium, platinum, um, even uranium. 
we've come across a few patients with uranium, one from um, who grew up in Colorado, for mm-hmm. example, North, yeah. North Colorado. Very common and in well water. Yeah, exactly. And um, it is quite remarkable. Um, you know, this lass has had chronic fatigue for many, many years and it was only when we did uh, initially the hair tests um, hair tissue mineral analysis, which is the you know, number one screening test. And then we went on to do some specialised testing, what we call challenge tests. And we'll talk about this later as we go along. Yeah, using urine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So heavy metals affect people in many different ways. Uh, that Number one, they are all poisonous. Okay, so they inhibit uh, enzyme systems throughout the body, whether it be enzymes that help you digest your food or enzymes that um, basically work in your liver cells or in brain cells. We have enzymes doing all sorts of jobs. They're like sort of workers on a factory assembly line, okay? So you've got raw materials coming in at one end, you've got all these workers and they've all got particular jobs to do and then you get hopefully an end a raw you know, a product at the end that you can market. Well, these enzymes um, are all susceptible to inhibition by heavy metals. Different metals inhibit different enzymes. For example, uh, there's a group of enzymes, something over 200 different ones, called methyltransferases. Okay. Uh, methyltransferases are very important in the methylation cycle. And they transfer a methyl group, which is one carbon and three hydrogens, from one atom to one molecule to another, okay? Mercury knocks them out big time, okay? And other enzymes, uh, you know, are knocked out by different metals. Problem with arsenic, if you have arsenic and mercury together, you're in big strife because mercury inhibits an enzyme called arsenic-3-methyltransferase. So you can't get rid of arsenic either. Mm-hmm. So you accumulate both. Yeah. And that's not a particularly good combination for your health. Yeah. What about the combo of tin and thallium together? What's, uh, what's their deadly combo? Okay. They're mitochondrial poisons. Now, uh, they're both what we call trivalent cations. So... When we write a chemical symbol um, for tin, it's SN3+, for thallium TL3+. Mercury is an HG2+. Arsenic is an AS3+. And so most of the metals are, have what we, uh, are what we call valence of either 2 plus or 3 plus. Some are 1 plus, some are 4 plus, 5 plus, 6 plus, 7 plus, etc. But the majority are either twos or threes, and they behave rather differently. Tin and thallium are mitochondrial poisons. In other words, what they are doing is that they uh, actually um, inhibit the, um, the conversion of glucose to energy within cells. Mitochondria are like sort of dura cells. Uh, they're the sort of power plants of each cell, and some cells have a few, some cells have a lot. Brain cells, heart cells, for example, need lots and lots of mitochondria. 
Um, heart failure essentially results when your mitochondria in your heart cells basically run down to sort of low levels um, and then, you know, you're dependent on medication, pharmaceutical medication usually, uh, to try and, you know, sort of keep your heart running. Otherwise you conk out permanently. Yeah. That's no good. Um, you, you see, so thallium and tin, now tin is ubiquitous in our environment. Tin, obviously the number one source are tin cans, uh, especially if they have had uh, acidic uh, foods or liquids stored within them. So, for example, if you have pineapple juice or orange juice in a can or tin tomatoes, uh, even uh, baked beans because they're in a tomato-based um, you know, sauce, things like that. And what happens is that whilst they're sitting on the shelves uh, or even prior to that, whilst they're sitting in cardboard boxes uh, waiting to get onto the shelves, waiting to get to your home, uh, to your kitchen, uh, into your saucepan, um, they're gradually leaching away the tin. Yeah. And some people can seem to get rid of tin okay. A lot of people accumulate it and become more and more and more fatigued. Same with thallium. Now, thallium is a very interesting compound. Um, thallium... It has both 1 plus and 3 plus in its valence and it's a deadly mitochondrial poison. It's 10 times more potent than mercury on a milligram for milligram basis. Okay? So if you have X amount of mercury, um, then, you know, if you had the same amount of enthallium, it would be a potency of 10X. No. Deadly stuff. Where do we get thallium? Okay, thallium is a naturally occurring um, mineral or metal. Uh, it comes uh, from uh, deposits of coal and uh, gas, oils. So obviously we burn it in our motor vehicles, trucks burn it, um, power stations, coal-fired power stations burn it. So there'll be a a lot of thallium in the area around coal-fired power stations, but also anyone living in cities. And this is something we've found is that people who have ended up with thallium uh, toxicity have lived in cities virtually all their life. They've worked in cities. They've worked near freeways, main roads, where you've got traffic going day and night. And... Something I um, investigated, if you go onto um, Google Patents or in Google Scholar, which, which includes Google Patents, and you put in Thallium, um, then you, you come across a whole lot of patents for Thallium as fuel additives. And this started when the uh, petroleum companies were obliged to substitute uh, ethyl lead take that out of fuel and have unleaded fuel, but they still needed to replace uh, the lead with something. See, lead is there primarily to stop cylinders falling apart after 20,000 miles, okay? Now, 
uh, auto manufacturers are not going to be very happy if their cars are being returned every 20,000 miles with their cylinder heads blown to pieces. Okay, so they sort of insist, I think this is what's gone on behind the scenes, they've insisted that uh, the oil companies come up with something that will preserve their precious cylinders, uh, and that makes good economic sense, of course. The only problem is that they chose thallium compounds uh, for some strange reason, and so every time it's, the thallium is not only in the uh, fossil fuels, but it's also an additive. So when it's combusted, it is released into the air and people who are living in exposure to, um, you know, trucks, buses, um, motor vehicles. Uh, I think they're both certainly in unleaded petrol. Um, I'm not too sure about diesel, but that's quite possible as well. Certainly um, the raw materials from which diesel is refined has thallium in it. What does thallium so, do to you? What does it do to you? What does it do to you? It just poisons you. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Um, and the principal symptom is fatigue. Um, it poisons brain cells so that you get a reduction in the transmission of electrical impulses between different parts of the brain. And the cardinal symptom of that is depression. A lot of people who are depressed is not necessarily due to their circumstances, it's due to their environment. Um, And uh, mitochondrial poisons, mercury, thallium, arsenic, lead, uh, they're the four which really do nasty things to mitochondria in nerve cells. So nerve cells then just don't have the energy to do the job that they're designed to do. So, yeah, people become quite depressed. Um, You can get the same with quite severe iron uh, deficiency anemia. Um, You can get very depressed as well because iron is necessary for neurotransmission. Um, So, yeah, brain fog... Um, depression, lethargy, just the chronic fatigue. You, you know, you've slept for, for 12 hours and think that you want to sleep for another, you know, half a dozen, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and it's you will not see it on a hair test. Yeah. Okay, now this is something I need to make really, really clear. Um, thallium is not exported from the bloodstream into hair um, in most cases, unless you, except in one case, where you have uh, deliberate uh, poisoning. Um, I think there was that was that rat Russian chap Litvinchenko who was poisoned with uh, thallium, yeah, a KGB agent, and the the British were not very happy about that. Um, and still hasn't brought the culprit to justice, so I believe. Um, so apart, that may show in here, but that might be the only time it does. These amounts of thallium are much smaller than would be necessary to kill a person. They just make your life a misery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why we look at ratios to, for minerals ratios, to metals. Yes. Yes. And the two ratios which are of critical importance in relationship to thallium is the potassium thallium ratio 
and the rubidium thallium ratio. Now, most people will never have, they might have heard of potassium, uh, which, of course, is in uh, the principal source of fruits. Um, the juicier the fruit, the more potassium you're going to have. Um, and it has a, you know, it, uh, sort of, um, it's an apprentice or um, sort of puppy dog that follows it around in the body, and that's called rubidium, found in much lower doses. It, it, it in itself has very little physiological function, but in, in terms of what I do, it both potassium and rubidium give us ratios in relationship to thallium, uh, which indicate that it is there in substantial quantities. Yeah. So the lower the potassium, the lower the rubidium, the higher the amounts of thallium that you will have been uh, absorbing. Yeah, yeah and, and I was... see this and we test it out and we see it again, again, again and again. And you get rid of the thallium and the ratios start to normalise and people feel and function better. Yeah. So uh, without question, everyone has heavy metal toxicity to some degree. And yes. so is there any test that can show you all of the heavy metals that you have in your body? Well, the simple answer is no, because if you look at a periodic table, there's a vast number of metals there which you might only find in uh, nuclear research facilities. <laughs> we can't test for those in real life. Um, we leave the, you know, boffins to play around with their nuclear isotopes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the metals we can test for, the most important ones we can certainly test for, and we do two types of tests. One is called a DMSA challenge test, which involves the collection of two samples of urine, and the other is a stool metal analysis. Alrighty. Now, let me talk about both of these and what, what we use them for. First of all, with a DMSA is a sim very simple uh, molecule. It has two sulfhydryl groups, and those sulfhydryl groups bind to a range of heavy metals. Okay? Uh, we use that in combination with an uh, amino acid called glycine. Glycine enhances the absorption of the DMSA molecules across the lining of the gut. And then we've, what we've been doing is to add in a, an extra compound, uh, which is called choline-stabilised orthosilicic acid, abbreviated CH-OSA. Now, uh, I won't talk about trade names here. Um, that's probably not appropriate for this um, uh, podcast. But suffice to say that we've been working with this probably for the last 18 months. And what we've found, this is a remarkable compound. Um, silicic acid is, um, is made, very simple. It's made up of silicon and oxygen. But it has four molecules of oxygen as opposed to in common sand. Okay. Sand is silicon dioxide, SiO2. Very stable. Um, you don't want to eat it. Um, it. It won't taste very good and it won't do much for you. But if you have silicic acid, which is found 
in naturally in uh, quite a number of different sorts of mineral waters. Uh, and there's a Professor Chris Exley from uh, Keele University in the UK has been working with this uh, for quite a number of years, trying to eliminate aluminium uh, from uh, people. Um, then we found that, that by using this this substance, it attracts the trivalent cations. So it attracts the arsenic, the antimony, uh, cesium, thallium, uh, tin, uh, all these things with three pluses, uh, it binds to very readily. And actually, um, it, when it comes out in the urine, you can analyse it in a mass spectrometer, which is a very sophisticated uh, analytical piece of equipment. And then you get a representation either from before you take the DMSA, the glycine and the orthosilicic acid and afterwards. And you notice the change in the values and the concentrations of both uh, nutrient minerals and the concentrations of metals. And then you can get an appreciation of just what um, you, uh, you've been storing, often for many, many, many years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's fascinating. We, um, a colleague of mine here in Melbourne and I are currently in the process of tabulating um, uh, a, a series. We're up to about 50-something uh, sets of data, which we will, um, when we get time, we will sit down, analyse and then probably publish mm. the results because as far as we know, no one else has actually done this in the world. And what we're showing is that um, we can actually bring out a lot of the, these trivalent metals, the thallium, the aluminium, the arsenic, uh, the tin, which cause chronic fatigue syndrome again and again and again and predispose patients with chronic fatigue or Lyme disease to persistence of their infections. Okay. There's even a thought, uh, a hypothesis at, at this stage, that you will not get chronic um, glandular fever or infectious mononucleosis unless you, in fact, have an impairment of your um, immune system to start off with. You know, instead of a very short-lived, um, you know, flu-like viral sore throat sort of illness, these people who go on to have glandular fever for weeks or months, it's like the Lyme patients who do not get over their initial contact with Lyme but go on to chronic Lyme disease. And that's, I understand, about 30% of sufferers. So something is wrong with your immune defence system. What Pasteur was saying, it's the terrain, it's the terrain, it's the terrain. Something is wrong with that terrain that enables these bugs to hang around. You've got to identify what's poisoning your immune cells, your brain cells, your liver cells, and once you do so, then you can set about getting rid of this junk and keeping free of it. So the, so the number one screening tool is hair tissue mineral analysis. Do yes. uh, So I, I know the answer to this, but do all of the heavy metals come out on a hair mineral analysis do, that, are, that are in your that, body, that are currently in your body? Okay. 
The simple answer is that um, with mass spectrometry, you can only, theoretically, I think at the moment you can analyse up to about 72, 72 73 uh, minerals and metals at any one time. Um, commercially, that's not practicable. The cost would be much, much too high. So from practical terms, we're looking at sort of the low to mid-30s in number of elements that can be tested. And for them to get from the um, bloodstream, the capillaries, very, very small blood vessels, into the growing hair root, it's got to uh, pass through what we call a a basement membrane into the germinal matrix epithelial cells. And these are cells, these are the first cells that sort of the baby, baby, baby hair cells, and they have little taxi services running all over them. These taxi services are called transporters. And it's a bit like if you have a taxi service in your city where you've got yellow cabs and black cabs, but then you might have some blue cabs and some red cabs and some orange cabs. And some Ubers. We, we, use Uber. we use Ubers here. Uber cabs. <laughs> don't know what colour they are. <laughs> we, uh, so, and these are very fussy because they're only going to take up passengers, say, um, blues, or they'll take light aqua blue and a royal blue and navy blue. But they're not, if they're reds, nah, don't like them, you know, leave them behind. Uh, yellow, oh, they're horrible looking things. No, got to keep way clear of them. We're just taking blues today. So they'll transport the blues and the other ones might transport the reds and all the variations of red. Um, so you've got all these different taxi services and, and they're all called transporters and you've got taxi services both into cells and out of cells. This is an important concept. You can often get stuff into cells but then there's a different set of, of taxi services trying to get it out of cells, passing from the first line of hair cells to the second line of hair cells from the second to the third and so forth. And that's where the problem comes, is that um, the transporters are all coded by specific genes. Those genes are susceptible to coding errors. And when you've got a coding error, the functional efficiency of, of that transporter diminishes markedly. might be down to 20 30%. Okay, so you might get a small representation of a heavy metal such as mercury arsenic in the hair, but it is not representative of what is being stored in the rest of the body. It just can't jump the hurdle, can't jump the fence to get from the bloodstream into those cells. And so that's why um, on the um, Trace Elements uh, Inc. Uh, have a lot of ratios. They have a set of nine ratios, uh, four are for mercury, three are for lead, two for cadmium. And then what I have done is come up with a set of another 11 ratios which cover things like aluminium, arsenic, tin and thallium. And so that gives us an indication now of seven different metals which may not appear in the hair but are still going to be in the system. And we use the DMSA challenge test to identify exactly what they are and quantify them. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. So you use a hair yeah. test as initial, um, you know, screening tool because it's very inexpensive. Yes. Kind of yes. see the basics of what they're, but we need to see the minerals too so we know what supplements to give people. Yeah, absolutely. And then absolutely. we use the, the urine metals analysis to get yes. a, a larger picture, a more accurate picture of what heavy yes. metals are stored in the body. Now, in some patients, I then go on to do a stool metals test. Uh, it's done by the same laboratory as the urine metals. And we use this in a, a couple of instances. For example, just as certain elements will not show in hair readily, there are some that do not show in urine readily. And one that comes to mind is silver. Silver very rarely shows up in hair. But if anyone's had dental amalgams, you do a stool, metals, they have huge amounts because after mercury, silver is the number two metal made up in dental amalgams, silver fillings. Yes, there's silver in there. Silver is toxic. Okay. Um, we, when I was in um, you know, family medical practice, when patients came in with burns, we used a cream called silver sulfadiazine because silver is toxic to bacteria. Uh, it, it's toxic to all living things. Um, and when you do these stool tests, you find out, yes, these people, even after, years after having had their um, amalgams, their, their mercury silver amalgams replaced with composites or porcelain or whatever, they're still excreting a fair bit of silver, which is pretty, pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. You see, um, what is silver? Dent, what dent, is silver do to the body? Sorry, what does silver do to the body? Well, it's a sterilizing agent. That's the first thing. So, if you have silver in the gut, it's going to create a dysbiosis automatically. Um, it's one of these things that people never look for. Why does a person get dysbiosis? Well, have a look in the mouth and and realise that what's disintegrating in your mouth, particularly in your molars, may well be causing your gut dysbiosis, your leaky gut, uh, irritable bowel symptoms, you name it, it goes on and on and on. Not good, not healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, so you said that the hair metal analysis, or the, the urine metals analysis is a push test. Um, what do you mean by that exactly and what supplements do you use to push out more metals? And we talked about it a second yeah. earlier. Yeah. Okay. Um, we use a range of supplements to uh, get out metals once they're identified. Uh, we extensively use a supplement called modified citrus pectin, uh, and that's uh, derived from the uh, the pith, the whitish pith that you find in uh, grapefruit and oranges. Uh, pectin is a very long-chain carbohydrate. It contributes to dietary fibre. It also makes jam set, if you've ever used jam set, a type of things for home concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what you can do is actually break up this um, pectin into much smaller particles and turn it into a powder, and that's called modified citrus pectin. And that has a wonderful property of being able to bind virtually any heavy metal uh, in the body 
and quite a range of environmental toxins as well. There's a number of research papers been published in the last uh, five to ten years which have documented that. Um, and so modified citrus pectin is an essential part of my uh, core program. I will then use uh, often cilantro. Now, cilantro is derived from coriander. When coriander, uh, which is Chinese parsley, um, sets seeds during the summer, you can actually harvest the seeds in the aerial parts and make a uh, tincture. You, you soak them in uh, alcohol, usually vodka, and that, and then store it for quite a number of weeks, you need about eight or ten weeks in the dark uh, um, to extract the uh, tincture. And that's quite potent. That's very good for uh, metals that are divalent. So things like mercury, it is uh, cilantro actually is very good for. It works much the same way as DMSA. DMSA is simply a more potent form of cilantro. Not that they're identical, but they did fundamentally, they seem to work in a similar manner. But we also use this choline stabilised orthosilicic acid as a um, a detox agent, not just a diagnostic tool, but it's also a very, very effective detox agent um, for trivalent cations. Uh, and anything that uh, likes to reside in bone. Bone is hard for uh, your normal detox agents to get into. That just doesn't work very well. Um, but this stuff is brilliant. Uh, it, there have been trials of it. And it's actually uh, very, like silica is an essential component of bones, of teeth, hair, nails, and one of the reasons people are susceptible to osteoporosis is that we don't have a lot of um, readily absorbable silica in our diets and with the consequence that bone isn't terribly strong. Once you start, one of the um, things that, strangely, girls um, say to me, not the guys but the girls, and the girls say to me, since I've started using um this stuff, which comes in drops or capsules, my nails have been the strongest they've been ever in my life. Mm-hmm. And I get this again, again, again and again. And it's logical because silica is being uh, impregnated into the collagenous structure of the connective tissues of, of these and it reinforces. It's a reinforcing material. Hello. Mm-hmm. What do we need when we've got osteoporosis? We need something to reinforce those bones. Yeah, people are sucking down calcium and even magnesium, and you need the collagen matrix for those minerals to deposit in. Absolutely. So it has to be stabilised. Um, and also things like boron and strontium are also essential for bone. Um, what you don't need are pharmaceuticals, uh, inhibiting the osteoclasts, the remodelling agents. Um, you know, if a doctor wants to put you on to uh, bisphosphonates, uh, find another doctor for heaven's sake. Fire, so, fire uh, him. Uh, <laughs> sorry? Fire him. Yeah, yeah, precisely. If they just want to dish out poisonous pills, 
say no thank you, I will find better alternatives. And there are much better, much safer alternatives than using that class of drugs. Now, I'm not, you know, obviously as a, uh, you know, a medico, I've prescribed thousands and thousands of drugs over the years, but uh, there was always some classes of drugs that I was very wary of, some um, I'd use only in very, very specific circumstances, and that class of drugs is one I avoided because understanding the mode of action is so contrary to yes normal physiology that you don't want you don't want a part of it yeah 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 it's like building it's like you have a, a weak scaffolding that you're yeah. trying to build a bone on and, and it can't cause uh your bones to crack your femur yeah. bones to crack because the there's yeah. no matrix there there's just this bone built on this weak scaffolding so to speak yeah yeah. Doesn't work. And if we take that analogy further, if if that scaffolding is say made of uh, um, you know pine or fir or um, you know what, whatever you're using for you know framing materials, if you've got termites, um, you want more that is starting to eat away at that sort of framework. You need something more than just a termite killer. Because if, if you go and complete the house, it's in a you get a big storm. It's like bottom blow down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. So a lot of my clients come to me, and their doctors have done a metals push test, but the doctors yes. invariably only use DMSA. Uh, yes. What is the problem with doing a urine metals push test only with DMSA? Okay. Usually they've used DMSA and they've used it for six hours, a six-hour collection. Um, we know from the um, what we call pharmacokinetics, the, the way in which the body handles DMSA, that um, you need um, a minimum of 12 hours and preferentially a 24-hour collection. That is because is that... DMSA undergoes what's called uh, intrahepatic recirculation, which means that it comes down through the common bile duct into the first part of the small bowel, travels down to the end of the small bowel and gets largely reabsorbed, okay? About one-third comes out in the urine, about two-thirds out through the stool. So, and it goes through several rounds of recirculation. And every time you get a recirculation, more comes out in the urine for you collecting. So um, you're going to get short change if you just follow a a six-hour DMSA collection. It's useful, but it's only an indicator. It's like doing another hair test. Um, It's only going to show you so much. What you've actually got to do is a much more extended collection, and this is the uh, recommendations of the International Board of Clinical Metal Toxicology. Um, so clinical metal toxicologists uh, insist on 24-hour collections, uh, none of the six-hour nonsense. And when we do that in combination with the uh, orthosilicic acid, uh, we find that we get far more comprehensive uh, representation of your metals than you would with DMSA alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And does DMSA chelate calcium as well? I know this is only for one day, so it's not a big deal, but there's many doctors that want to do chelation with DMSA for an extended period. And yeah. why is that problematic? Um, well, DMSA doesn't have a great deal of affinity for calcium. Okay. EDTA yeah, that's is right. the, the EDTA does. EDTA really, really binds calcium. Mm-hmm. And there were some very interesting studies done um, with um, heart patients and uh, shown that um, it was actually published just a couple of years ago and caused great stir in the cardiology community. Uh, it actually showed that um, EDTA would remove calcium out of coronary arteries and I can't remember whether they used coronary artery calcium scores on the CT scan or whether they did repeat angiograms, but I can't remember the methodology. But it, it caused quite a stir because it actually worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it created unstable plaque as opposed to stable plaque is, is another whole issue. So I think there's a lot more to that thing. Um, yeah, sure, some people think that it's good uh, using EDTA to remove calcium out of coronary arteries. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. With DMSA alone, um, no, it's reasonably safe. We use it in up to, you know, treatment periods of up to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dose has to be calculated very carefully mm-hmm. because there is actually one, one size does not fit all. Uh, there's quite a, a real range because of the way the liver handles the DMSA already. Uh, and there are ways and means of doing the calculations. Um, so, and, and this is what I do, is that we run a special test here in, in Australia. Unfortunately, um, you don't have it available in the US, possibly due to FDA regulations, but here um, we have it in kit form basically what we call a uh, a liver detoxification profile or functional liver detoxification profile. Uh, Comes in kit form, basically involves taking uh, small doses of caffeine, aspirin and um, what we call paracetamol here, but it goes by a very strange name over your part of the world. Mm -hmm. It starts with an A Mm -hmm. and is uh, largely responsible for a lot of liver self-inflicted uh, liver poisonings. Yeah. Anyway, we use a very small dose and we look at phase one and phase two detoxification. We, we get some numbers and I crunch the numbers and from that can actually calculate the right dose of DMSA mm-hmm. and it works. Mm-hmm. We don't have people getting sick with it and we don't have people getting um, sub-therapeutic doses, which I've seen uh, some quite eminent people in the naturopathic community recommending doses which you'd need to take for 10 years to, to get rid of the sort of loads of heavy metals my patients have. Yeah, so you don't give that to every uh, patient. Uh, what, no, no, no. what is the circumstance or what kind of heavy metal toxicity or poisoning do they have to have before you recommend the DMSA? They need to have usually large amounts of mercury and or uh, large amounts of copper so there are people who become copper toxic um, and they respond very well to DMSA. There is a group who both has very high tissue levels of copper. Now, I don't mean intracellular. I mean extracellular. 
cellular levels of copper, um, which is usually reflected by a relatively high serum copper and the copper transport protein we call ceruloplasmin. If, if either of those are in the upper third of the reference range and you have a very high copper on uh, HTMA, then you've got some serious problems and that has to be removed. Copper is needed. It's an essential nutrient, but you need it in finite amounts. You don't want an excess. You don't want to be overloaded with the stuff. It doesn't do you any good. Yeah. And we can talk about that some other time. Yeah. Um, so mercury, copper, and say, for example, if you have a very large amount of nickel, as we're finding, a lot of patients have a lot of nickel. Nickel is the number one metal allergen. Uh, so it can cause all sorts of skin rashes, uh, as well as contact dermatitis. And it is highly, it's like aluminium. It, it, it's quite highly allergenic. So nickel, we want to get rid of if you've got a lot of barium. Um, that's another one. Um, there's a couple of others. But basically anything with a lot of two pluses okay. floating around, I will use DMSA. Otherwise, if they have lower amounts, I'll use cilantro. Okay, okay. And so uh, can diabetics do a metals urine test? Of course. No, no, there's no problem with for diabetics at all. Okay. Yeah. I've had diabetics do you know, a number of tests. So okay. No problem. So is it better for them to do the fecal metals test? Do they fare better with the fecal metals test? Okay. Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, it just depends what shows up on the hair analysis and what I'm suspicious of from a patient's history. Okay? So when a patient comes in and consults with me, we'll spend... Often, you know, on average, initial consultation, about two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So I don't take on a lot of patients. But those I take on are usually very ill. They have been ill for many, many years. They have seen numerous, numerous other people who have never done these tests. And when you do these tests, you find the answers, you put them on the right treatment, they start for the first time in their life, they start to get and feel better. Mm -hmm. They actually recover. Yeah. Um, so this stuff works because we're dealing with the underlying causes rather than symptoms or this system's out, the thyroid's out or the adrenal's out or the brain's out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if your brain's fully out, you've got real <laughs> problems. <laughs> um, yeah, so it works. And that's very, the satisfying thing about this type of work, clinical nutrition is that it provides answers. It provides real answers. Yes, a treatment can be 12, 18 months, two years, depending on what you've got. The more metals you have stuck in bone, they take longer to get out. Yeah. They will take two years to get rid of. Uh, but most people we can get, you know, 12, 18 months for most people is the length of treatment that they need. Yeah. And they progressively get better step by step. They'll notice week by week by week. Oh, I can do that this week that I couldn't do last week. Or I can do this this month. I can go out shopping and I can stay out shopping for an hour instead of uh, 10 minutes sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, you know? or I can eat this food and I can never eat it before. I haven't been able to eat it in years. I get, yeah. that, a lot. I get that a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It yeah. Works. And so I know for me, when I did my first hair mineral analysis and I saw the mercury levels and the, my next test, I saw the cadmium levels and aluminum levels. <laughs> I, I thought this is it. I knew that I had found the answers uh, to why I wasn't well and why other people weren't well. And it's so obvious that we have so many heavy metals and chemicals in our environment. Of course, it's interfering in our bodily function. And of course, yeah. everyone is toxic because they're everywhere. And so many people are uh, health practitioners are just boggles my mind how it's just not on their radar. Precisely. Yeah. Have you ever seen one of these, um, you know, sort of wonderful sets of seminars on heavy metals? We seem to have them on every other topic under the sun these days. Mm -hmm. You round up 30 experts from around the world, you interview <laughs> them and they, you know, chat away about their pet subjects. Yeah. Uh, one for heavy metals? There's going to be one and I'm there going to is. do it. I'm going to oh. do it. That one's going to be a, lot, a long ways away, 2017. But right. it's coming. Okay. It's coming. <laughs> I am doing a summit. This is the first time I've announced it on the podcast. I am doing a summit uh, called the Safe Supplement Summit coming in September of 2016. So oh, that'll be when we'll, we'll have we'll have you on to talk about chelators, of course. Uh, but yeah, so that one's coming. So it's the first time I've announced it. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, went wonderful. So everyone, pencil that in your diaries. Yeah. <laughs> September 2016. <Yeah>. Watch out. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. Um, so why don't, why don't you tell the listeners what your, in your opinion, what you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Well, I think you asked me that question last time mm. and I gave you a big long answer as to what part of the world do you live in? Mm -hmm. um, but fundamentally, the health problem is environmental toxicity, okay? It is the big bugbear of all chronic ill health. And whether it's heavy metals, whether it's insecticides, pesticides, environmental pollutants, um, uh, you know, styrene, benzenes, you, you name it, it's environmental toxicity. We live in an incredibly toxic world. People do not realise uh, that from the introduction of the internal combustion engine, uh, you know, uh, around sort of the late, very late 1800s, early 1900s, that, you know, we've been converting uh, oil to pollutants in our atmosphere in our environment, um, and we've been doing so persistently. And as populations have increased throughout the 20th century and continuing to increase at an exponential rate uh, across many parts of the world, like it's forecast India will become the world's most populous nation, overtaking China within the space of about another 10 or 15 years or so. Um, and... We're also dependent on fossil fuels, and fossil fuels are poisoning the planet. Um, sure, they, they make our lives more efficient, enables us to get places, you know, in the transport sector, it obviously, you know, to get trans transported from one place to another efficiently, but it comes at a price. 
Um, now, I'm not a greenie as such. I'm, I really am a physician. Um, and my concern is that interaction of our pollutants um, with, uh, you know, from factories, you know, the pollution levels in uh, Beijing throughout parts of China are absolutely horrendous. China is paying an enormous ecological price for its industrial progress. Mm. Um, A huge price, huge price. Yeah, I just had two friends of mine came back from China from teaching English there for three years, and they are a mess, and I'm I'm detoxing them right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I I, I just wonder how, you know, the Chinese people, uh, apart from those who live in the countryside, but those who live in the cities, what their long-term health outlook is going to be. Yeah, it's not because good. Because you take as many Chinese medicines as you like, but they're not, and some of them may be very useful, but the problem is going to be far greater than the Chinese herbalists are going to be able to fix. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my concern is environmental pollutants is probably the biggest health issue. And I would say heavy metals are actually probably a very close second that people don't realise the extent to which they impair our physiological functioning. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, So why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to work with you? Well, if they want to go onto my website, which is www.peninsulanutrition.com, dot com dot au remember the au because we are based in australia mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so www.peninsulanutrition uh, all one word in lowercase dot com dot au there are links there if you want to email me or call me uh, if you need help um, and uh, yeah we'll see what we can do to sort out Uh, you know, causes of your chronic ill health. Yes. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's always a pleasure, always so informative and just, you know, cutting edge. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Wendy. And listeners, if you want to learn more about detoxification and heavy metal toxicities and how to detox the right way, you can go to my website, liveto110.com. Uh, mineralpower.com is fun- coming very, very soon. That's my healing and detox program. I have a beautiful website that's coming in a couple months, specifically just for that program. So thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.